Well, here we are, carrying on in the Easter season. And we're carrying on in the Gospel of Mark, but we're switching the focus a little bit to new beginnings, the potential of life that we all carry within ourselves to become all that God wants for us in Jesus. So new beginnings. And so what we're going to do starting today is each week we're looking at a different character or a different group of people or a new theme that's introduced that uh, speaks to new beginnings. And so we can keep that in mind as we go. Just on a side note, I do have a bit of a cold today. So if it sounds a little weird, it's not your hearing, it's my speaking. But with that in the mind, uh, faith, belief, and salvation, new beginnings in Christ. And what we see in this particular unit is a technique actually that Mark uses and it's called insertion where he'll merge two stories uh, that share a common theme. And so he brings these stories together so they may not have happened actually chronologically as such but when he's putting his story together he links these two stories of faith. In this case both are female we have a woman, maybe, I don't know, 40-ish or something like that, younger, mid-30s. And then we have this young girl who's only 12. So different ages, both females, both in that society, on the margins of society, um, both linked, interestingly enough, by the number 12. And 12 in the Old Testament symbolized Israel. So in some, some way, these characters are also symbolizing Israel. So the woman has had the sickness issue for 12 years. The young girl is 12 years old. So Mark brings these two stories together. But they are linked on the need for faith and for what God wants to do in their lives so, and will do. So it speaks of our encounter with Jesus what is he inviting us to do? What are we to become? That's all part of these stories linked together by Mark. So the text begins this way. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, across the lake, a great crowd gathered around him and he was by the lake. So they've returned from the eastern side of the lake, which was Gentile territory, and now they're coming back to the western side, which is Israel, Judah. Galilee. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so he, that is Jesus, went with him. So that's the beginning story. So it picks up on Jairus. Normally, actually, the characters in these stories aren't named. But here, this individual is named Jairus, perhaps because he was a leader of the synagogue. He's an important person in that community. And it's quite unusual here for this synagogue leader, Pharisee perhaps, scribe, to show his concern and his need. And he rushes to Jesus and gets down on the ground and begs Christ for help. 
he he's, has no shame, if you like. Typically, we don't see the religious leaders doing that, right, as we've been reading in the Gospel of Mark. But here he comes. Why? Because he's very concerned for his ill daughter. We're told that she is at the point of death. So at this point, he's very concerned, and all he wants is for her to be made well. That's the focus. See in verse 23, he says that she might be made well and live. And literally, that is, she might be saved, that's the word saved, and have life, zoe. So it's so so she might be made well, saved, and live, have life. That's Jairus' words to Christ. And so that's the beginning of the first story. Unusual, that again, that Jairus would expose himself in this way. So they start on the way. We see that Jesus is willing to go with Jairus. They depart, verses 25 to 34. And as they are going, we now hear about the second story, this insertion theme. And it is now this woman who is ill. She's had an issue of blood for 12 years, we're told. And if you read through the details there, we see that she has, has some money. She has some standing on some level. Maybe she's inherited, we don't know what. But she has had some money and she spent it all on doctors who, it's implied, have taken advantage of her and she has not gotten better at all. So the story goes that this woman works through the crowd. Jesus is traveling with Jairus. And she has in her mind that if she can just somehow touch Jesus, that she will be made well. And so it's a bold move, it's a courageous move, because people know who this person is. They're small communities. They know that she is unclean. And typically that way, then they stay isolated. They're not going to work themselves into crowds. But this woman is desperate. She's like Jairus in that sense. And so in her desperate stake, she works through the crowd, and touches Jesus, we're told. And what happens is amazing that Jesus stops, it's almost comical, and he asks the question, who touched me? And again, if you're reading the text, we're told that the disciples are saying, Jesus, like, what do you mean? Everybody's touching you here. Everybody's around you and banging into you. That's, that, that, that question doesn't make any sense. But Jesus knows that somebody touched him in an act of faith because he has felt healing power go out from him. So it's just kind of interesting. The woman touches and Jesus knows that he has been touched differently than the other touches. And these, this touch is important because it speaks to faith. And so Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Now also the women the woman has already felt the healing power of Christ already. She's already being made well. That's how she feels. So she doesn't have to come forward here. She could slip away into the crowd and be healed. But Jesus asks, who touched me? And so the woman raises up her strength and she goes and admits to Jesus what has happened. 
that she has been ill, and she just tells her story. And the response of Jesus here is, is one of, wow, that's, that's quite a story. I appreciate that. And his word is verse 34, your faith has made you well, which is saved you, similar to what Jairus has wanted. Go in peace, shalom, and be healed. And the word be healed there is linked to our word hygiene. Be healed of your disease. So what we find for the woman is she receives assurance through her act of confession, through being vulnerable and being honest, she receives the assurance that indeed she has been healed and the illness will not return. She has been indeed made well. So her courageous act enables her to have a certain confidence in going forth. Your faith has made you well, saved you, go in peace. Shalom is go in peace in the most holistic sense and be healed of your disease. That's the second story. So it does raise the point as an aside here is how much do we want to touch Jesus? Joan Chistether talks about in one of her writings, she uh, worked in the Catholic worker movement, so on. She says, we talk about ideas. She's talking about us as moderns. We talk about ideas for getting ahead rather than ideas for touching God. So she's speaking to the faith community. And she says, we've been, we've been sucked into too much of the way the world works. So we, we, we talk about how we're getting ahead. That's what we talk about with our friends. Rather than talking about how can I touch God and know God more and grow in God? So it does raise the question then, how much do we want to touch Jesus? Or are we really just like everybody else? We want our bank account to be full. We want to drive a nice car. We want good health. We want our family to be tranquil. We want all those things. And God really sinks down on the priority list. How much do we want to touch Jesus? So you, only, you know that for yourself. You know, we only know that ourselves. No one can say. It's not a matter, matter of judging one another. It's, it's what we want. Do we want to touch Jesus or not? That's a question we can carry from this second story. So, okay, but there is this merging of stories. So we've picked up with Jairus. We lose Jairus for a moment. We have this new story of the woman who no is unnamed, but is healed by Jesus. And then it picks up again. And Jairus's story is, continues. And just at that point, we don't know how long this delay has taken. How anxious has Jairus been during all this because he knows that his daughter is at the point of death and now they've been derailed by this new story. I don't know, maybe he's pulling his hair out. And all of a sudden, people come from his house and says to him, they say to him, there's no need to bother the teacher anymore because your daughter has died. Verse 38, Jesus hears this 
And his response to Jairus is, amazingly, do not fear, only believe. Do not live in the house of fear. Let's live in the house of trust and confidence in love with God. And this happens by belief. This happens by faith. Remember, the two stories are linked by faith. Do not fear, only believe. So this is spoken by Jesus to Jairus to encourage him, to give him some strength, to keep hanging in there through this travail. So Mark likes to use these three words, and these words are linked in our stories. There's the word faith, pistis, verse 34. There's the word belief, believe, only believe, verse 36. And then we've heard the double use of saved, sozo, be saved, verse 34. All of it speaks to living authentically. All of it is living in an integrated manner. All of it means being made well, whole, shalom, the fullest sense. Faith, belief, and being saved speaks to that experience. He offers that to Jesus offers it to the woman. Jesus offers this to Jairus, the seeds of new beginning. Hang in there, Jairus. Don't fear, believe. And so they reach the house. <clears throat> We're told that the people are already mourning the loss of this young girl. She's dead, okay? She's not just asleep. Mark is presenting her as she is dead. They are already mourning and wailing, weeping over the death of this young girl. And so Jesus then takes the parents, takes just a handful of the disciples, and they go into where the little girl lies. And he speaks in Aramaic, Talitha Kum, which translates, Arise, little lamb. So it's a warm, compassionate response from Jesus, which, by the way, was also given to this woman who was living on the margins. Jesus takes her seriously. And now Jesus is very concerned for this young girl and says, Arise, little lamb. It's a beautiful picture. And it's a picture of Jesus in solidarity with us, solidarity with us in the human condition, when we have all of us our aches and pains, we have our colds, right? You might have the flu, you might even have COVID, who knows? All of these things, Jesus walks with us in these situations. And what happens? <clears throat> well, Jesus raises the little girl to health and strength, says to the parents, give her something to eat. And we're told that they are amazed. And then when the, when she, the little girl comes forward, the whole crowd is amazed. Interesting that that's not the usual word for amazed. This word is actually the word we get ecstasy from. They are ecstatic at what has happened. This just blows their mind completely. They are amazed, verse 42. They are all ecstatic through the work of Jesus. So these two stories coming together, right? The story of Jairus, 
the story of the woman who has been sick for these numbers of years. Twelve years is a long time, right? And God works through Jesus to both of them. And so as we conclude, we think then of this theme of new beginnings. In this Easter season, what is Jesus saying to you and to me in terms of new beginnings? No matter what age you are at, no matter where you're at, you may be in the autumn of life, well on in your years. What is Jesus' word to you and to me? New beginnings. So the first point is that Jesus is indeed concerned for everyone and for those who are on the margins of society. Those who are hurting. Those who are in pain. Those who are forgotten by others. Those who are isolated. Jesus is concerned and walks with us all, with you all, in your situation, he knows your name. These stories remind us of this truth. Jesus is concerned, and then also, of course, as a church community, how are we concerned for the hurting of society? What's our response? Secondly, of course, the woman, particularly, is demonstrated to us in shown to us as a woman of great faith, Pistis. She's open to the mysteries of life. Come up with the idea that if I can only touch Jesus, I'll be made well. So she's living with open hands, not with closed fists. She's not angry. She's not bitter. She's not saying, where are you, God? Why has this happened to me? Why am I in this situation? I'm worse than anyone else. Why me? Why me? She's not there at all. But she's trusting in God. And she goes forth with open hands to receive healing from Jesus. And she receives it. Faith. If we're going to have any kind of encounter with Jesus, it has to happen through faith. You know, it's not an economic transaction. It's not transaction analysis, you know what I mean? It's not I do this, you do this. It, this, this is faith. This is open to the mystery of God in his universe to receive from him in our circumstances, in your situation, faith. We are not a very faithful people in that sense. We're not full of faith. We're often full of doubt. I'm always struck by Jesus' words when he says, when I return, will, will I find faith anywhere on planet Earth? And so often we're, we're filled with doubt and fear instead of faith and trust and confidence in God. So this woman is a good model to us. We also see with Jesus, thirdly, Jesus' patience and his own peace. Notice how he's not irritated by the interruptions here. When he lands from the boat, he's immediately accosted by Jairus and his needs. And Jesus responds and goes with Jairus. And then even on the way, he's interrupted again 
by this woman with her needs. And Jesus takes her seriously. And then after, he encourages Jairus and said, keep trusting. So it's an example to us to be patient with one another. To be patient with each other because we all carry our burdens. And, you know, we wear them on our sleeves at times. And we, you know, we can be irritating people. But we're called to be patient. And we can learn from Jesus, the great teacher, our master teacher who models this kind of shalom and integration. We might go forward in him. Patience and peace, number three. And then fourthly, you know, obviously the story is about faith. It's It's a story that presages, if you like, the resurrection of Jesus. Last week we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. And, and then now Jesus raises this girl from the dead, just as he's going to later raise Lazarus. He raises the child of the widow of Nain. Jesus has this ability to give new life. And so this is a dramatic scene, but it it speaks to us and to you, to your life, about the great potential of life that lies in you just under the surface. Springtime here in Toronto. Tulips are coming forth. Irises are coming forth. Bushes are turning green. Seeds coming to life. And even as that happens in the natural world, it happens in the spiritual world as we trust and depend and look to him. No matter where we are, no matter what season, the potential of life in your life, in my life, that's the power of God. That's the power of faith and the faithful encounter. New every morning, as we read in Lamentations. New every morning. God's power in Christ. So may we open up our lives, be that little seed coming to fruition. Little ways, big ways, it doesn't matter. God knows our hearts. He wants us to keep evolving, keep growing. And then finally, we will break into new life, resurrection life, zoe life, that will continue forever. Every day is a blessing from God. Keep your eyes on him. No matter how desperate our world gets, there is hope in Christ, resurrection power in Christ. Beyond the despots, beyond their attempts to control, Jesus works. Jesus is alive. Jesus saves us, saves you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.